Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet Neurology podcast. My name is Nikolai Humphreys. Today I'm joined on the line by Bruce Campbell. Bruce, welcome to the podcast. G'day Nikolai, great to be with you. Thank you. Could you start by introducing yourself? I'm Bruce Campbell, a stroke neurologist at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and the University of Melbourne in Australia. You summarise the results of recent trials of endovascular treatment for ischemic stroke. Can you briefly give the background to these studies and explain what has been studied in the latest trials? So in the past, we've had a number of neutral studies on the endovascular therapy for ischemic stroke. So ischemic stroke, obviously, caused by a blocked blood vessel and endovascular treatment's been around for over 20 years. But uh, There have been some changes recently, particularly in the device technology and also in the way that we select patients for therapy. And uh, a number of lessons we learned from the the neutral trials, which were only published two years ago in 2013, about how to get the artery open quickly and effectively to select patients who are likely to benefit from that artery opening. So there are now six trials. Five of them have been published in the New England Journal, and there's a sixth, uh, the Thrace trial from France, which is yet to be published, but has been presented in abstract form. And they're all strongly positive in favour of endovascular therapy over standard treatment, which in the majority of these patients is intravenous alteplase or tissue plasminogen activated TPA. So it really is a a huge advance. Uh, We highlighted in the review the number needed to treat to get an additional patient with independent functional outcome is in the range of 3.2 to 7.1. That's really one of the most powerful effects in medicine as a whole, not just in stroke. Yeah, as you've just said, it's a huge advance and the results of the latest trials have been very positive. However, you mentioned that the initial trials of endovascular treatment were neutral. Can you explain why recent studies have been so successful? So we know that getting the artery open quickly is the key in ischemic stroke. There's a a penumbra of salvageable but non-functional tissue that is uh, gradually dying. Well, not that gradually, in fact. One of our co-authors, Jeff Saver, published it's about 1.9 million neurons per minute. So we do need to act quickly. And we know from those original trials, they had rates of getting the artery open between 25 and 40%, so not that high. And they also were treating patients many hours after stroke, often about five and a half hours after stroke to get the artery open. Now, these new trials have got a a, a new range of devices called stent retrievers. These are little metal baskets that lodge in the clot and then uh, remove it. And they get rates over 80% in some of these studies. Swift Prime had the highest at 88%, followed by Australian study 86%, getting the artery open within half an hour or so of, of starting the procedure. So that kind of technology coupled with teams that really focused on getting the patient to the cath lab as fast as possible have really made a huge difference. And I know the Canadian trial escape really focused on on workflow and they were aiming to get their patients from the door of the hospital through the system as fast as possible and uh, they achieved that, which was a fantastic improvement in workflow and, and systems of care. Thanks. That leads me nicely onto my next question. In view of these positive results, people are talking almost about a revolution in stroke therapy. Can you give us a sense of what endovascular treatment adds to the approaches available for the treatment of ischemic stroke? So this treatment is suitable for patients with large vessel occlusion. We're talking about internal carotid artery, first part of the middle cerebral artery, perhaps the second part, but not more distal occlusions. And Although they weren't studied in the trials, many of us would apply these results to patients with basilar artery occlusion as well. So 
that might be perhaps 10% of all ischemic stroke, which might not sound like that much, but if you think about the disability burden from stroke, these are the patients that have the most chance of ending up in nursing homes or dead without getting the artery open. So in terms of disability protection, um, it's, it's a massive advance. Thanks. Can you briefly explain who will benefit from endovascular therapy? So some of the trials have released uh, subgroup analyses and there's an um, individual patient meta-analysis plan which will give us much better insights into subgroups. But from what we can see so far, certainly age is not an indication of, of prognosis. So uh, although elderly patients with any major medical condition won't do as well as younger patients, there's the same treatment effect in the over 80s and the under 80s in, in the trials that have looked at this. The patients across the range of stroke severities have also seemed to have an equivalent treatment effect. So just because they're severe or mild, patients still benefit. Now, we do have a limited number of patients with a stroke scale less than six. So those are particularly mild stroke patients and we need to pull our data to see how that benefit translates in the very mild group. But across the, the general spectrum, patients with a major vessel occlusion, regardless of age or severity, seem to benefit from this treatment. In the paper, you talk about the need to provide endovascular treatment quickly after the onset of stroke symptoms. Can you explain what steps need to be taken to make endovascular treatment available to those who will benefit within a restricted therapeutic time window? The time window that most of these trials have operated in is six hours from stroke onset to start a procedure, which is the groin puncture. There are some data. Uh, there were 20 patients in the Spanish Ravasca, the Catalonian Ravascat trial, who were treated between 6 and 8 hours, and there are 49 in the Canadian Escape trial treated between 6 and 12 hours. So not a lot of data yet in that extended time window, and there's some ongoing trials looking at out to 24 hours, in fact. What we know works for intravenous TPA is to really optimise every step of the way. So the community needs, first of all, to recognise stroke and activate emergency services. So in America, that's a 911. In Australia, it's a triple zero. And in the UK, it's probably a double one two. But uh, basically, if patients, families and relatives can recognise stroke and activate emergency services, that can start the process. The emergency services can pre-notify the hospital that's going to receive the patient. And that allows the stroke team to really mobilise and, and meet the patient at the front door and hopefully take them direct to the CT scanner. We know that the CT scan is the rate-limiting step in the process without which no matter how good our clinical skills are, we cannot differentiate an ischemic stroke from intercerebral hemorrhage. So that is the key decision-making point. We obviously need some clinical information as well and some basic uh, examination, but really the CT scan is the point of decision. And these days we also need a CT angiogram to define the vessel occlusion, which is uh, mandatory to uh, identify patients eligible for endovascular thrombectomy. My final question is a two-parter. Two Are there any uncertainties or controversies remaining about the use of endovascular treatment for ischemic stroke? And also, can you identify any burning research questions that now need to be addressed? I mentioned the individual patient meta-analysis, and that will really help us to refine some of the remaining questions about particularly very mild clinical severity, some of the issues on time, some of the issues about more distal, smaller vessels that patients may still derive benefit out in the more distal middle cerebral artery, for instance. One of the key controversies that we covered in the review is how to use imaging. We've always had a non-contrast CT brain to differentiate ischemic stroke from hemorrhage. 
we're now all mandating a, a CT angiogram to demonstrate uh, the blocked vessels as the target for therapy. But uh, whether you need to do any more than that is uh, controversial. So in the Canadian trial of SCAPE, they used collateral flow grading based on a, a multiphasic CT angiogram, so a little different to the standard angiogram that we might all do. And in the Extend IA trial that I coordinated, uh, we had uh, CT perfusion, and that was also used in quite a few patients in the Swiss Prime trial. So we find that CT perfusion is a great way to identify patients that are going to benefit from opening the artery. It tells you roughly how much tissue is already irreversibly damaged and where it is. And the Canadians found very similar things with their collateral gradings. But it is a huge treatment effect. And trials like the Mr. Clean trial from uh, the Netherlands didn't use anything other than the CT angiogram and still managed to show a positive result, albeit smaller magnitude. So I think that's one of the areas, you know, how far can we push beyond the trial population that we had in the more selective trials? Um, do we need extra imaging? Do we need it in everyone or do we need to target the imaging to individual patients and, and their time window and other factors? Um, one of the other controversies, I guess, is, is really uh, how far we can push the time window and we need further trials to establish that. But there's good suggestive evidence from other studies that if you pick patients based on favourable imaging profiles, then you may be able to push the, the treatment certainly to 12 hours and maybe beyond. Thank you, Bruce Campbell. That's a nice way to end the podcast. Bruce, thanks for taking the time to speak with me on the Lancet Neurology Podcast. Pleasure, Nicola. Thank you.